0: Lord, may the words of our mouth and the meditation of our hearts be found acceptable in your sight. For you, O Lord, are our, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I found it rather interesting. I checked with a couple of my pastor friends that are not Lutheran. Uh, one is a Baptist. One pastors a non-denominational church, and I asked them what their text was for this weekend. Just curious. And all of them said, Galatians chapter 4. And I said, really, how did you come up with Galatians 4? And one said, well, I'm currently preaching through the book of Galatians. And this was the reading. He said, it's kind of an interesting Christmas text. And the other guy who pastors a non-denominational church says, I don't know, I was just looking for some different passage for Christmas. What about you? And I said, yeah, yeah. Me too. But there's another Bible passage that kind of ties in with this that is even more familiar. This one maybe is not very familiar to you, but most of you know Luke chapter 2, verse 7, where it says, And she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, for there was no room for them in the inn. Now that scene you can see up there on the screen right now, it's a kind of an unmistakable picture. We call this a creche. It is a representation of the birth of Christ. Uh, Sometimes you see it like this in a painting. Sometimes you see it out in statuary like we have out in the lobby. Sometimes you actually see it with honest-to-goodness real people who are portraying Joseph, Mary, uh, the baby Jesus, and on and on. Now, usually that picture, quite pastoral, Mary and Joseph watching the baby Jesus in a clean wooden feeding trough. Sometimes in pictures you'll actually see a little glowing light coming out of the head of Jesus. Uh the straw is always fresh and clean. Uh the stars overhead are twinkling. You got all oh, you got that really giant star, you always have to have that up there. You've always got a few cows, a few sheep, a donkey, and they're watching some pretty happy parents. You've also always got the shepherds, you've got the wise men bowing before the baby and the manger. It's a rather sweet. And beautiful scene. No doubt many of you even have something like that setting in your house. i got to tell you, though, that something like that is also quite dangerous because you can run into people who don't like it. If you've been reading the news lately, you know that in East Texas, uh, part of the courthouse scene is this. And some people who can't mind their own business up in Wisconsin have decided to come meddling in Texas and tell us to take it down. Uh, I was very thankful the other day that a group of pastors said, over our dead bodies, uh, or something to that effect. At any rate, uh, someone is always offended when you got a picture like that. But the real problem is not the supposed offense, but I'm going to tell you, the real problem with that is that it bears very little connection to what really happened that night In Bethlehem. In other words, that picture is not very close to being biblical at all. I'm going to tell you why, for a few reasons. It wasn't very peaceful that night. It could not have been nearly as clean as we make it out to be. Uh, Nothing could have been as beautiful as that picture. And there's no reason whatsoever, biblically, to believe that the shepherds and the wise men were all there together. The very night that Jesus was born. But there's a major problem here. It rests in one other fact. And it's this. That the Son of God from heaven came to earth. Is born in a manger because there's no room for him in the inn. We hear this so often. We take it for granted. But i got to tell you, it just does not seem right. And so I'm going to ask three questions this morning. Let's go to the first question. What's wrong with this picture there you have another example the answer is simple jesus doesn't really belong here i mean after all he's the son of god from heaven he does not deserve to be treated like a vagrant or a criminal or some poor pauper he deserves the very best that this world has to offer he comes from heaven to earth and he ends up where in a barn how many of you have ever heard that when you grew up? What, were you born in a barn? Uh, you know, evidently all of us were. Now, let me press this point a little bit different way. God could have done better. That's right. You know, God could have done better. Now, suppose you had all of the power and you could choose the time and the place and the manner of your firstborn son's birth. Would you have chosen to have him born in a manger? I gotta be honest with you, that doesn't make any sense to me at all. I mean, what's going on here? Why is this, happen? why is there no room in the inn? Well, let me tell you a little bit about Bethlehem before we get there. If you visit Bethlehem today, uh, you're gonna find that it is a fairly large, bustling Arab city. Not a Jewish city, but an Arab city that's located about seven miles south of the city of Jerusalem. Uh, you reach Bethlehem by traveling to Jerusalem, and then driving down a rather wide paved road. Now, the situation in that part of the world today is pretty dangerous, and although uh, it would not be advisable in today, you could probably walk from Jerusalem to Bethlehem in about an hour or two, depending upon how fast you walk. But, back it up 2,000 years ago, Bethlehem was a tiny little Jewish town. It was a small, out-of-the-way village, one of the least important cities in all of Judah. There were probably a few shepherds, a few farmers, a few merchants, and that was about it. It's what, in Nebraska, we used to refer to as a wide spot in the road with a sprinkler. Uh, It was made famous only because it happened to be King David's hometown. Now, one part of that story you're all familiar with involved a guy by the name of Caesar Augustus. He lived in faraway Rome, and he was prompted by God. And let's remember, he was prompted by God. He decreed that a census had to be taken so that taxes could be collected on an equal basis all over the empire. That census required that every Jewish male had to go back to their ancestral hometown. Now, I've thought about that. If I had to go back to my father's place of origin in order to be taxed, Where would I have to go? Where would you have to go? Well, since Joseph was descended from the line of David, he had to go back to Bethlehem. Now, it happened that Mary was kind of in her final stages of pregnancy when they arrived in Bethlehem. Now, most people, we know the story. It's like he trotted her about 90 miles south on the back of a donkey when she was 8 months and 29 days pregnant, about ready to burst. She barely made it into the barn. I don't know that that's true either. It doesn't say that in the Bible. Now, I would say it happened because God arranged everything from the emperor issuing the decree at just the right moment, just the right way, just at the right time, and Mary and Joseph got to Bethlehem at just the right time. They were exactly where the prophet Micah said the Messiah would be born way back in Micah chapter 5, verse 2. Now, part of our problem with this Christmas story is the understanding of the word inn. There was no room for them in the inn. Go to the next slide, Matt. Now, we tend to think of an inn as kind of a nice building near a freeway exit. It's about two, three, four stories tall. It's got a nice, well-lit parking lot, a large lobby, a pool. It's got a hot tub. There's a Coke or a Pepsi machine on every floor. It's got hot showers. It's got cable or satellite television. It's got free Wi-Fi so you can surf the Internet. Now, to many of us, roughing it would be that the ice machine was broken. Now, I want you to clear your mind of all of this. In all of the Roman Empire, there was not one single inn as nice as the average (laughs) holiday inn. In those days, travel was rather dirty, it was difficult, and it was downright dangerous. Travelers needed safety, they needed security, because robbers could be found almost anywhere they traveled. And so an inn was simply, like you see there, a building that would rest where a person could stop and rest safely for the night. Indoor plumbing was not an option. Uh, Cable television was about 20 centuries in the future. Now, in order for us to understand this story that there's no room for them in the inn, it helps us to know that Luke actually uses two different Greek words for inn. One word refers to a small building like that dedicated to serving travelers. And at the end of these buildings, typically uh, you tied up your horses or your donkeys uh, for a fee. The innkeeper allowed you to sleep on a a rough mattress on the floor, he generally kept a fire burning, he provided some fodder for your animals. Now, this, this is the kind of inn that Jesus talks about later in Luke when he talks about the story of the Good Samaritan. But this is not the word that Luke uses when he talks about Jesus. When Jesus talks about the story of Jesus, he uses a totally different Greek word for inn. It's kataluma, because it basically means, go to the next slide, a guest room. A guest room. The inn would be a smaller and simpler version and was generally part of a person's house. And so there you see this house. The family lived down on the first floor where they ate and slept. They sometimes built this guest room, this inn, that could be reached by a ladder, part of it, or maybe a doorway, and we see that the animals were all brought inside during the cold winter months. That's the inn where Jesus was probably brought. Now, this brings me back to a major point. From a human point of view, nothing in this picture looks right. It doesn't look like anything we've ever seen before, I can tell you. And even if this is the way we did it, a lot of us would say, did Jesus really deserve to be born in a place like this? The question is, why did this happen? Why was Jesus allowed to stay in this place? Now, I'm going to tell you that, we'll go back one, go back one, please. That this is probably, down where you see the animals, I mean, no one would have refused the descendant of David a place to stay. No one is going to allow a pregnant woman to go, Got in a barn or some cave someplace, and when you see the manger where you see the animals eating, that's probably where the baby Jesus was laid. Not in this fancy-schmancy little crechey kind of deal that we have kind of glorified. Now let's move on to the next one. Why does God allow something like this to take place? If you really believe in the sovereignty of God, then we need to believe that God did not simply allow... Uh, his son to be born in a manger we got to understand this is what god wanted god ordained it this way there was no room in this guest room because god wanted it that way and in order to work our way to the answer we got to kind of back up a little bit joseph and mary were compelled by what a census to go to bethlehem latter stages of her pregnancy the journey would have been difficult and dangerous Pious Jews who traveled from the north in Nazareth, by the way, would have gone east across the Jordan River, then south through Perea, and then crossed the Jordan River again at Jericho. They would have then walked uphill from Jericho to Jerusalem and then made a seven to eight mile journey south to Bethlehem. That kind of jagged journey from the east to the south to the west to the east again, would have allowed them to avoid what? Walking through Samaria. And no Jew walks through Samaria. It's a journey that would have probably taken six to seven to eight days. And remember, you're walking with a pregnant woman. Now, I've often wondered to myself, I don't know what what you guys ever think about the Christmas story, but I wonder what would happen today. I mean, what if Mary wanted to fly Southwest Airlines? Uh, what if she wanted to go by United, American, or Delta instead of walking? Uh, well, <laughs> well, you need to go to Google and you, you type in uh, um, something about airline policies and you immediately find a problem. Uh, most airlines will allow pregnant women to travel through their 35th week. After that, they need to meet a note from their doctor written within 72 hours of the trip saying that they're in good enough health to make that trip. So a woman in the last stages of her pregnancy would probably be turned away at the gate. The bottom line is that nothing has really changed in 2,000 years. Mary would still be walking today. And by the way, somebody show me in the Bible after a while where it says she rode on a donkey the whole way. They arrive in Bethlehem, they're turned away, not at the Traveler's Inn, but they're there's no room in the guest house, and so the baby is born in a home In Now, why would Jesus do that? Well, here's a couple of reasons. Christ was born like this to show his humiliation. I mean, nothing is more fitting than Jesus born in a manger since he laid aside all of his glory to take the form of a servant. Here's the second reason. He's born this way because he was king of the poor. I mean, poor and outcast people knew Jesus as one of them by the way He came into this world. The poor of the earth knew that they had a friend in Jesus who cared about them. Here's a third reason. He's born this way so that the humble might feel invited to come to Him. I mean, think again about the manner of His birth. It was an invitation to the rejected. It was an invitation to the abused and the mistreated and the forgotten and the overlooked to come to Him for salvation. See, by being Born in a manger, Jesus was himself like a priest taken from among men. One who suffered like his brothers and therefore was touched with the feelings of how we feel. I mean, the Bible said they accused Jesus of what? Eating and drinking with publicans and sinners. They said that this man receives sinners and he eats with them. Now, even as a baby, Jesus already started out that life of being with the less than the lowly. I mean, even the first visitors were who? Shepherds, the lowest class of people, people that didn't even allow to vote. Shepherds who were not allowed to testify in court because they were known to be liars and thieves. Yeah, I find this kind of an inspiring thought when you think about it. The fact that there was no room in the inn turns out to be much more than just some sort of an incidental detail. Now that we know why he came, surely we ought to be able to say, look, he had to be born like this. It could not have happened any other way. So he turned away from a normal place to stay, resting in some sort of a feeding trough. He was already bearing the only cross a baby can really bear, which is extreme poverty. This baby lying forgotten, resting in a feeding trough, well, maybe there were other animals around eating, It's kind of God's appointed sign to all. This is what we call the incarnation. Philippians 2 says, He made Himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made Himself in human likeness. But you know, I don't care what picture of Jesus you want to look at at Christmas time. He does not appear to be supernatural. There were no halos floating over His head in Bethlehem that night. There were no angels visible. There were no choirs standing outside the inn singing the Hallelujah Chorus. I'm sorry. If you had been there and seen what was going on, you would have concluded that this was just a baby born to a very poor couple who were really down on their luck. I mean, nothing about the outward circumstances pointed to God. Yet, all of it, every part of it, every single solitary Seemingly random detail was planned by God the Father before the foundation of the world. I ran across an interesting quote this last week about the Christmas story. It says, To the unseeing eye, nothing looks less like God. But to those who understand, God's fingerprints are all over the Christmas story. Well, here's the third question. What do we learn from this? Or we could have probably put the Lutheran question, what does this mean? If you kind of stand back and consider this one aspect of the Christmas story, I think there's some amazing truths that emerge. We learn something about God. We learn something about the world. We learn something about Jesus. And we even learn something about his followers. Here's the very first thing. We learn that God uses adverse circumstances that make no sense whatsoever at the time in order to accomplish his future purposes. Now, at first glance, when you read that story, the fact that there was no room in the inn seems like an insignificant detail in a much bigger story. But I can assure you that that was no small detail to Mary and Joseph. I mean, being told that there wasn't really a guest place in this house must have been devastating. But then saying, but you can stay here kind of down towards the bottom of the living quarters and, and, and having your baby and putting your baby in that manger, no doubt tested their faith to the limit. I don't care how devout Joseph and Mary were. And by the way, they didn't walk around with halos on their head all the time either, like we sometimes see them. I have a feeling they did not look upon this really as much of a positive event. I mean, how could this negative turn of events, we go all the way back, we don't even have a, a decent place to stay to have a baby. Now, they might have believed it, but they, they didn't maybe believe it in advance. Now, like many of us, we don't know what's coming around the corner. Uh, there are many things that we deal with that make absolutely no sense at all. Sometimes those things don't make sense for years. And sometimes, guess what, we leave this world without ever really totally understanding. I got an email this last week from a family at a previous church. They have a young daughter who I've known for a long time, a wonderful, delightful young girl in her early 20s. She just found out, she's just been diagnosed with a very serious form of cancer. The cancer is so extensive that surgery is basically out of the question. And you know, right now, here at Christmas time, very difficult chemotherapy is probably the only possible treatment. I mean, no one can say what her long-range prognosis might be. And I'll be honest with you, like their parents, there's really nothing about something like that that really makes any sense. But in moments like this, when I talk to them on the phone, Rather than to try to explain God's mysterious ways or try to answer all these unanswerable questions, I took them back and said we need to rest in what we truly know about the God we claim to worship. That our God is a good God. That our God is a just God. That our God is a merciful God. That God's ways are not our ways. That God makes absolutely no mistakes, and yet God also does what He pleases I mean, I take great comfort in the fact that our God knows what He's doing. I take great comfort knowing that God uses everything that happens to us in order to accomplish His purposes in us and through us. I mean, nothing is wasted. That's going to be true for this young lady and her family. That was true for Mary and Joseph. Nothing is wasted. Not even being turned away because there was no room in the inn. Here's the second thing. We learn also that the world has no room for christ and it has no room for christ now john 1 11 says very clearly he came to that which was his own but his own didn't receive him i mean actually jesus came home to his people they did not want anything to do with him in fact when jesus went back to his hometown people even said can anything good come out of nazareth i mean when he preached he preached in his hometown church what did they want to do when he was done preaching they wanted to take him outside the wall and stone him or throw him over a cliff I hesitate to go back to a church I used to be at to preach this week. You're not welcome in your own hometown. Yeah, they knew he was coming. I mean, that's the crazy thing. People knew Jesus was coming. God had told them over and over and over again. I mean, even a bunch of pagan astrologers, these guys we call wise men, in Persia, they figured it out. They saw his star in the east. But the rejection of his own people is almost spectacular. You know, if Mary and Joseph came to Texarkana today, guess what, they'd be turned away at the Marriott Courtyard. Uh, they'd be turned away at the La Quinta Inn. Mary would not have had her baby at Wadley or at St. Michael's. If Jesus were born today, I think it would take place in some sort of a ramshackle tenement someplace or maybe in some remote village in India. See, the world that had no room for him, I would suggest still, in many cases, has no room for him. Here's the third thing we can learn. We learn that his humiliation started early and continued to the very end. During his ministry, Jesus said this one time. He said, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. I mean, think about this. Jesus owned nothing but the clothes on his back. And even when he's crucified, what did they do? Soldiers gambled over basically his one piece of property, that robe. When Jesus was died, they buried him in a buried tomb. I mean, this whole story of Jesus at Christmas is really pretty remarkable. It's not near as cutesy as we make it be sometimes. But I'll tell you, when you dig in, you, you realize how really remarkable this story is. I mean, Jesus' birth... Pictured the whole course of life. Jesus was an outsider in every sense. He came from outside this earth. He was born outside, really, of an inn. and he died where? Outside the city walls. Here's the fourth thing. We learn that his followers, that's you and me, if you call yourself a Christ follower, it means that we share in this. We live with Jesus, we suffer with Jesus. We die with Jesus, and guess what? We reign with Jesus. You know, what happens to Jesus will always happen to Jesus' followers sooner or later. Just as there was no room for Jesus in the end, guess what? There's often no room for the people who are His followers. I wrote a blog this last week. I think I called it Uh, Did this ever happen to you? Has this ever happened to you that you've read a story in the Bible or a section of God's Word over and over and over and over again, maybe 20, 30, 40, 50, 100 times, and then lo and behold, when you read it again, for the umpteenth time you went, what? And you spotted something in there that you'd never seen before? That happened to me about a week or two ago. I'm working on some Christmas services and I, I'm thinking about the Christmas story and I'm thinking, it's probably good to read Luke chapter 2. Now, how many times have I ever read Luke chapter 2? In those days, there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed and each me blah, 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 blah. Oh, I, I, I memorized that when I was a kid. Whenever though I got to verse 7, I, I'm going to admit something to you. When I got to verse 7 of chapter 2, Whenever I had read this or heard this, I always read or heard the last phrase of verse 7 this way. Because there was no room for him in the end. Some of you are going, yeah? That's not what the Bible says. Do you know that? He actually wrote, because there was no room for them. In the inn. I'm 67 years old. How many times have I heard that story? I bet you 67 years. You know, this innkeeper had no idea that the Messiah was standing at the door. I always read it as if there was no room for Jesus. Guess what? There wasn't any room for Mary and Joseph either. Even that little detail, I think, tells. I, gosh, I got to think. I could preach a whole sermon on that. And don't worry about it. I'm not going to. But you could almost preach a whole sermon on. They are also outside the inn when Jesus is born. What happened to him also happened to them. And I think this is a pattern for the future. Many years later, Jesus challenges his disciples by saying, "If anyone would come after me," He must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. When Christ calls us, he calls us to come, and he also says, come and die with me. Guess what? We're outside the inn as well. God could have made a room available. There's no doubt about it. Uh, God could have created a hospital in beautiful downtown or down village Bethlehem. He could have put a palace in Bethlehem if he'd so desired. But that sequence of events that unfolded, the census, the long journey, no room at the inn, no crib for a bed, the feeding trough, the swaddling clothes, all of it was planned, even though it all appeared to happen purely by chance. See, God willed that there would be no room in the inn for our sakes, so that we would know and understand why he came and who he is. And because there was no room in the inn, guess what? The call is always individual. There is no room, really, in the world's inn for those who are followers of Jesus Christ. That's why we sometimes sing at funerals, I'm but a stranger here. Heaven is my home. I leave you with this other question. Will you make room for him in your heart? May God grant to each of us faith to believe and a heart to say, Yes, Lord, there is room in my heart for you. Amen.